0: Welcome to the Hole in the Wall business podcast with Bill and James. I'm James Groves, and along with my business partner, Bill Dement, we want to share our journey as small business owners with you. As owners of Hole in the Wall Drywall Repair, we will attempt to peel back the curtain of owning a small business in the trade service industry and talk about the many adventures of owning a small business. Good morning. Hey, good morning, James. How you doing? Good, man. So good to be here. I'm actually, uh, it's nice to have a... Uh, all the things that are going
1: on in our world, I actually kind of like these little little Tuesday record sessions. Yeah, it's breaks. nice. It yeah. is nice. Yeah, and um, kind of a, you know just having wrapped up our first year of uh, podcast, starting fresh with year number two here, mm-hmm. and we got a really fun guest. I know you're dying to yeah, introduce. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I
0: want a quick little, little sidebar real fast is um, the next evolution of us, as of last podcast, episode 52, we launched our own YouTube channel
1: yeah um, that's great
0: we We don't record it in video just yet um but we are thinking about doing that as we talked about in the our our off the wall two podcast a couple weeks ago with trish murphy um and uh we needed to get that set up so we're slowly over time going backwards so all the new stuff going forward will have of some sort of video card, yeah, that's going to be nice. A closed caption on it, so we can people can watch it on YouTube as well, right? Because it's the second rated. I mean, it's the number two search engine in, in the country in the world. Yeah. Um, and then we're working to backlog all 52 previous episodes, 51 previous episodes. It's um, a little bit of work, isn't it? It is. It is. There's, I think, 10 or 12 up now. So yeah. by the time this airs, it'll probably be a little bit more. So kind of fun. Um, so excited to check that out. Make sure you like and subscribe, people, because we want to make sure we get that channel Absolutely. Absolutely. Hit that like button. Absolutely. But today, um, we have a great opportunity to talk to somebody who I've known for a little while um, that. And give us a perspective on the finances of a, of a business that we haven't had on the podcast just yet. So I'd like to introduce Steve Fulmer uh, with Commerce Bank and Trust. Steve, welcome.
2: Hey, good morning, guys. How are you?
0: So glad you're here today. Good to you. have you. And uh, Steve is the vice president of Commerce Bank. He is uh, the SBA and commercial lender there as well. Um, he's got a, a wealth of knowledge that uh, we can't wait to share with our audience. So, Steve, welcome. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. This is yeah. going to be a good time. It yeah, is. It should is. be.
0: And, and uh, you know, actually, we know each other a lot through the, uh, the Favob uh, military community, and you're obviously a vet. I'd love to hear more about that later as well. So um, let's kind of get kicked off. So tell us a little bit
2: about kind of you and how you got into banking and what led you to the commerce. Yeah, so... Uh, I was born and raised here in Central Florida over in Brevard County, and uh, I joined the military straight out of high school. And I was military intelligence, non-commissioned officer, airborne, and my primary duty station was San Antonio, Texas. After I did my first uh, five years in the Army, I went ahead and came back home to Central Florida, um, started up a family, and in 2008, I started in banking. Wow. And I started off in a large regional bank over on the retail side and started learning small business banking through that. Then from there, went over to a credit union Mm -hmm. and started up their commercial side. And that's where I started to really get involved with the SBA lending. Then went on to some larger regional banks, some uh, other banks that were about – Smaller than the, the first bank, but still very large in scope. Right. And then went into community banking. I've been in community banking now since 2014. Wow. So you've been there a while.
0: Yeah. 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 Nine years. Well, maybe you can tell me the differences. And So you've, you've seen the gambit. You've been to bigger banks. You've been to kind of medium banks. Now you're in, these, in this community bank. Even credit and unions. And credit unions. So you've had a great experience with multiple banks. Maybe you can share a little bit of the differences and the pluses and minuses to each one.
2: Sure. I think that, especially before PPP, everyone thought banking was a commodity. There mm-hmm. was one on every corner. I was going to go bank with whoever was the closest to me, closest to my business location, so I'd be able to just have that convenience.
0: Guilty is charged. There you go. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Slowly, technology has taken over where everyone has their bank on their cell phone now. Mm -hmm. It's true. They're able to do their mobile deposits. They're able to do ACHs, wires. um, Just everything is sort of taken away from that retail banking experience. And people started to take for granted that there's actually people within the bank that could benefit your business, Mm -hmm. not just through a loan, not just waiving a fee, getting your better interest rate, but the knowledge and the different contacts they have within those levels. And so, Everyone started to look at things a little bit differently after PPP. And so, in general, the bigger the bank, the more bells and whistles you're going to have. Mm -hmm. You know, the the big banks of the world have all the newest technologies. They're the first ones to roll out with the cool apps that have these features and all those things. Yeah, our
1: accountant was pointing that out, that some of the, you know, the major banks, they really have the latest gizmos. Mm
2: -hmm. They have the capital to be able to do so so they come first to market and those are what you see on the headlines and all those fun things and that's great if that's what you're looking for that's what your business needs but the bigger the bank the more you're removed from the decision makers Mm -hmm. and so that's the main thing between different size banks your local branch manager at your local big national bank has zero ability to do anything Mm -hmm. they work within their parameters within their box And then they have to go to their boss. And their boss has to go to their boss. If it's not within those parameters, they can't go outside. And you have to think about When you have a large institution like that, you have to have SOPs, standard Mm -hmm. operating procedures. Sure. You can't have everyone being a lone ranger and doing their own thing because then you have chaos. They're trying to build the brand. They're trying to keep up with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious who has, in a large bank like that, who ultimately has the decisions? Is that in large investors who have put their money into that? Big bank, is that who's making the decisions, or who is that up the food chain that everyone's answering to? It's kind of corporate.
2: Yeah, so you have executive <laughs> management teams, and you have board directors. Uh, they may have local advisory boards that help them understand a little bit more about the local market, um, because it's very different here in Orlando than it is in Miami. Even okay. from Orlando to Tampa, is different markets, different ways of doing things. So usually there will be some local executive power that they're able to reach out to, to make those types of decisions.
0: Yeah. So we've seen love our employees, even um, if they don't have a bank account or they don't like going into the bank, um, they're using a lot of these like online only banks, yeah. like ally and some others that are out there. And what I've experienced as a business owner is that like our payroll company can't direct deposit to some of those banks. Sure. They, they're having an issue where things aren't going through properly. And so we, have to create a different, you know, payroll policy for those people. Um, are there are there, are there some detriments to something like that? You just mentioned that there's people in the actual banks that can help you. So if, if you literally don't have a branch to walk into, right. or really a phone number to talk to a human being, I mean, that to me is an
2: immediate red flag. Absolutely, um, I think everyone that's in business understands business is relationships. So being able to build that relationship with your banker. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what you need done until you need it done. And so, again, PPP is one of those situations where uh, the government came through and said, we're going to save the economy, we're going to get out money to business owners so they keep their employees on payroll, and if you were a SBA-authorized institution, you were able to go ahead and implement the program. Well, they were building the plane at 37,000 feet while it right. was flying. Yeah. There were so many iterations and rules and changes all the way through. It was a two-year period almost mm. that we had uh, for the origination of PPP and then the after forgiveness of PPP. So if you didn't have someone, it, let's say you were at a big bank. Yeah. Your average banker doesn't, within your retail environment, doesn't understand small business banking, doesn't understand small business lending. There's usually a small business banker that your business may be assigned to. At certain revenue size or a certain need size, you might move up to a commercial banker, Mm -hmm. someone that has a little bit more training, a little bit more experience, and they sort of specialize in those things. Then within there, there's a whole subset of small businesses administration, SBA lenders, because they have a separate 470-page SOP that they have to go by, which is different than their regular SOP that they have to go by for commercial loans. Hmm. loans. So it, it's very, very niche when it comes down to that knowledge base. And so if you went into your big bank, if they were even open, if you were allowed to go ahead right. during the pandemic, um, you got somebody that was working off a checklist. Mm-hmm. You're going, I need this, you need this, you're going to upload it to this portal. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the expertise. They were just going off to the see of their pants. Mm-hmm. And so it was a definitely a, a scary time for small business owners um, because no one knew what was going on. No one knew how long this was going to last, how it was going to affect. And everyone was scared mm-hmm. and they wanted to have answers. And unfortunately, Again, the bigger the institution, the further you were removed from those answers.
0: It was a scary time for us because, um, obviously, we we were essential, so we stayed working, although business had waned a little bit. Obviously, people were scared, didn't want us in their homes, but then you also have people who wanted us in their homes because they were going through, they were at home all the time. Um, And so we were banking with a larger bank, you know, in, in our region, one of the top probably four or five and uh we have a really good relationship with that banker he had zero control over how we were going to get our first round of ppp yeah. and so when that came through um you know he said hey you're my top 10 client we're going to you know take care of you the best i can and it came and it left and we had nothing and then we went how many how many months went by another month or two before mm-hmm. the next wave of ppp came through that first wave or and, and then actually when we didn't hear from him for weeks at a time. He couldn't get any information from his corporate headquarters. Right. We went online. We actually got our first wave of PPP from some sort of random online um, institution. Yeah. Right. But then again, sold that to somebody else down the road. Um, really creating lots of issues for us. It wasn't until, because I think what you said is absolutely correct, they were building the plane at 37,000 feet. So- the government didn't know. The SBA was trying to, like, juggle all these balls at one time. Um, and they apologized. And then the second wave, we were in the first round of the second wave. But I'll tell you what. It was, it was clear at that moment that diversity in banking is, is extremely important. Yeah. Having all your eggs in one basket, as we were talking about before we started recording, is, is difficult because um, if that basket's really big – You're just one little tiny egg in this ginormous basket. Mm -hmm. Um, To have a a relationship with other banking institutions for SBA loans, for just normal banking, for advising, um, it's extremely important uh, to do that. One of the things that I found, we went to get an auto loan several years ago, and we went to our big bank. And that process took Almost a week. Oh, it was it was cumbersome. It was archaic. It was painful. It it took a long time. Uh, it was it was very painful um, because our local banker then had to tee up to his boss, who had to go up to you know the regional or the the, the, the corporate headquarters. Um, and it's actually ended up being it would be faster to just whatever dealership you're buying from, just use their bank, right? You know. So what we thought was we we're going to keep keep you know keeping the family ended up being a hindrance for us um, because he didn't have the way to get the approval faster. Right. I think that's probably a benefit for a small com- you know, community bank like yours, right?
2: So everything's different mm-hmm. when it comes down to every institution at every different size has different risk tolerances, has certain things that they really like to lend on or have as depositors. Um, and so, I call it the box. Every mm-hmm. every institution has their box. Mm-hmm. And when you're really good at one thing, you tend to stay in that box. And where you get in trouble as a banker is when you deviate from what you do well mm-hmm. and you start stepping into something that's out of your zone. Okay, You're punching above your weight class of what right. you're able to handle. And what I've always found is that it's much better to be upfront and honest with someone and say, look, it is – Not what we do. It's not what we specialize in. You would be better off going to a dealership and being able to go ahead and get the same-day turnaround if you need this truck right away. If you're planning on doing it at the end of the year and you're trying to do it for tax reasons, well, we have time. I might be able to work through that. Mm -hmm. And then what I've also found is that because I network with a lot of other bankers and other people in the industry, um, there's ways that I add value to my customer by saying, I could do this for you, but there's somebody else that might be able to do a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I can't be everything to everyone. I'm going to be everything I can to the people I really want to be. But as your banker, I'm trying to make sure that you are successful, that you're achieving your your dreams, what you want to accomplish. And then from there, if this particular auto loan in this case is not what I really work on, then if I send you somewhere else, you're going to remember that and say, Steve took care of me. He was the one that was directing me for something that was going to make a little bit more sense and I'll bring it back to him in the
1: future. We have a similar situation in our industry because we have the skills to do drywall repair. We also happen to have the skills to install and finish drywall, but it's not the way our company is geared. So when somebody is building a new home, even a friend, they'll approach us to say, Hey, can you come hang and finish and, texture, the drywall for us, we're not really efficient at doing that yeah. and maybe be able to give you a number for somebody who could better service that need for you. We're just, our gearing is just different. Right. Yeah. And really to your
0: earlier point, that's the relationship side of banking. That's so crucial. You Absolutely. Know, if you're just a number to a big bank They're not going to be able to, they're, you know, like if you bank at bank of America and you want a financial advisor, they say, yeah, go to Merrill Lynch. They're in the neighbor. They're they're literally in the office next door to me. Right. There's no diversity. It's just, they point to one direction. Right. But when you have a relationship with a a community bank or a banker like yourself, you have the ability to branch out to his entire network, to their entire network. You're not just limited to just that one
2: resource. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that business owners need to realize is that your banker Needs to you need to think of them as a small business owner themselves Mm. because they're running a branch, they're running a book of business, they're running a portfolio of different clients and different needs. Think of that sphere of influence that they have of all the different businesses and types of people that they work with. So if you're really looking for a certain demographic or a certain zip code of of client base or you're trying to get – suppliers or different types of even end clients when's the last time you asked your banker how much does your banker know about your business and your needs not just the loan not just this check being released mm. but how you're trying to grow your business and trying to have different spheres of influence that you could tap into because that's their job their job is to make those connections and to have those resources available yeah, that's a good insight that's
0: really good absolutely so I want to switch subjects just a little bit. Um, we obviously just had some big scares. We had some big banks close, Silicon Valley, you know, some really scary things. Sure. Um, we saw people that were in danger of losing money that, that they had in banks. Maybe you can talk about the protection, um, you know, when obviously, you know, if, unless you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in on one bank, you may be not be as much in danger as others, but maybe you can touch on that just a little bit. Put, put our mind at ease that our money sure. is safe in, in any of these
2: banks. Sure. So, if you're at a bank, you have what's called FDIC protection. If you're at a credit union, it's called NCUA. It's the same overall insurance type of thing mm-hmm. that every financial institution pays into in the case of a financial disaster, where they're no longer able to be solvent, they, they're illiquid, and they go under. They want the government wants to protect the depositors, you and I, from losing our savings because of something that someone else did. And so what that is is $250,000, again, doesn't matter which institution, credit union or a bank, uh, per depositor. So on the personal side, if you and your spouse have an account, that's $500,000 of protection at that institution. Mm. If you go to another institution, even if it's still you and your spouse, because it's a different institution, that's another $500,000. Each one of your kids that you add as a beneficiary, that's another $250,000 per institution. Mm-hmm. So as a consumer, very easily, we could get over a million dollars worth of FDIC protection or NCOA protection at one institution. Okay, As a business, you are one entity. I don't care how many signers you have. I don't care how many executive officers, CEOs, presidents, et cetera, et cetera. That EIN number is one entity,
1: just one. Okay, so you that's were interesting. So you're capped
2: at that two hundred fifty thousand dollar for the business entity at that institution.
0: Yeah. So
2: not per account. No. But per entity. Per entity I, per institution. Okay, yeah,
0: that's I, good I, to know. I just learned something. First of all, I thought it was two two fifty per account, and I didn't realize it was per person. Yeah. And I didn't didn't realize it was
1: at each institution. Mm-hmm. And that two hundred fifty thousand number is a really old number, right? It this is. is sort of from the seventies, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That and that exactly. I know that I've had, had heard recently. Maybe you can speak to that. That there was some talk about raising that number. Actually,
2: yeah, there there's different bills that are going around trying to address that. Number is old when it comes from inflation and, and when that was. So uh, it's definitely something that needs to get looked at. Um, Certain institutions may have other options that are available for you. Uh, there's different ways that you can go ahead and bank at one institution, and in the background, the that institution spreads it out on your behalf. And so you may have money at five different banks without you knowing it that have the FDIC protection that you're looking for, but it's all householded at your one main institution. And so that was something that uh, I worked with some of my business owners most recently on is making sure that they understood where their money was and what was going on with it, what protections they had because one of the consequences of this was you're talking about payroll earlier yeah. is you don't know where your payroll is banked at. You understand your payroll processing, maybe ADP, maybe, you know, paychecks, whatever it is, where are they doing their banking?
1: That's in, yeah.
2: And so because of that, if those institutions, those payroll uh, institutions were banking at one of those institutions went down, that was a major scare for a lot of people. Because you as a business owner, cleared it on Wednesday, your money yeah. came out of your bank mm-hmm. and went to your payroll provider. But where were they banking? Did that money, was that safe? Was that insured? Was that something that was able to be protected? And so that's of the things that they're looking at in Congress right now. Yeah, is man. trying to understand that in unintended consequences of those big banks. That's scary.
0: I mean, as a a business owner, and frankly, if we get to the point where we've got, you know, half a million dollars sitting in an institution someplace, diversity, I guess, is important, right? Yeah. Um, Would you recommend then that the 250 mark, you open an account somewhere else just to kind of house that
2: money? So it's a conversation you need to have with your banker, and you need to understand what your needs are, what your concerns are, and how they're able to address that, because there are ways that they can do it internally, Mm -hmm. but... If they don't know that this is a concern for you, if you don't ask the right questions, they may not have the right answers or they may not think of those answers at the time. Um, And then again, at the end of the day, people want to feel safe and secure. They want to know that they have that person that's there. And so making sure you have that conversation with them and say, hey, these are what I love you. I I love working with you. You're taking care of me. Mm -hmm. But where are my risks? Where where my business? Am I still positioned? Have I outgrown this institution? Mm -hmm. As a small institution, I only help up to a certain level. Mm -hmm. And then you outgrow me, and I'm putting you with another banker that I know, that I trust, that's going to be able to service your needs at a different level. Excellent. Well, that
0: was good information. Um, So talk to me about your process in kind of spreading the word. As a smaller bank, as, you know, Commerce, as a community bank, you have one location, one location, one location. Um, how do you get the word out? Obviously, we we network. We we network together sometimes. Um, talk to that end because as a small business owner, I'm trying to encourage all my other listeners that it is important that you don't do business in a vacuum. You're not by yourself. Branch out.
2: How are you networking? How are you getting the word out? I, I like to say, if you're not networking, you're not working. So your network is your net worth. So understanding. Within your business right now, if you can go ahead and understand those major suppliers, if you could understand those major subcontractors that you work with, if you can understand your banker, your insurance broker, and get to know them mm-hmm. and understand what they need to be successful, what does success look like in their business, then you'll start finding synergies and saying, hey, this business could use this business. Mm-hmm. This person could benefit from being from this person. And so... I just find myself as a giant matchmaker, and I like to bring like-minded people together that enjoy similar types of things. So we mentioned I'm a veteran, so I belong to FAVOB, which is a Florida Association of Veteran-Owned Businesses. Uh, so we have camaraderie there. We're all veterans. We have like-minded type of things. Yeah. Um, I'm also involved with the Veteran Entrepreneurship Institute over out of UCF. I'm um, also involved with the OVIA Winter Springs Chamber of Commerce. Over my time, I've been involved with a Rotary. I've been involved, been involved with a women's organization in commercial real estate. So it's finding niches that you're comfortable in, that you're passionate about, that you don't mind giving of your time because, for me, it's all about return on time. Mm. So if I could give myself for an hour, two hours a week, and meet with these individuals or these groups of people – where is that leading? Am I going to have meaningful conversations with people that I enjoy having conversations with that may mean six months, 12 months, a year, five years down the road, they could either be my customer or introduce me to my my customer avatar of who I'm looking for. Right. And that's built over time. A lot of people don't want to put in the effort. They don't want to spend the time to network and meet and go after hours and things like that because... They went twice and they didn't get any deals. Well, I'm not doing business with you after two meetings. I don't know you yet. I don't trust you. I don't like you. I want to build a relationship. And once I start understanding your character, once I start understanding the value proposition you bring to the table versus someone else, once I start trusting you, I'm going to keep you in mind. I'm going to be able to find opportunities for you to be successful, to find who you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And you'll remember that and you'll appreciate that at some point. And that's kind of
0: how we found you. I mean, I, I'm not even sure how we ended up hooking up and meeting for the first time, but um, it was through a friend of somebody who knew somebody. Maybe it was Trish, maybe, maybe it was Trish. Stu from FABOMB. I I don't even remember anymore at this point. No, I don't either. Um, but it is just that touch point that you be kind of you become kind of top of the mind when a topic does come up. I'm hoping that down the road, when a drywall repair comes to mind you know, in front of you. you we're top of the mind for you. Absolutely. When someone's looking for a, a business opportunity, that maybe a whole new franchise becomes top of the mind for you as well. So I, I'm a real big fan of that networking, um, just kind of getting out there and and, and meeting new people. Um, sometimes it feels kind of cumbersome. You know, you're talking to the same people over, over and over again. But you do have to build that relationship with them, and you have to build that trust with them. I've met several people in your sphere, but they don't know me well enough yet. So as we get to network more together with the people in your sphere, then they'll hopefully get to know and like and trust hole in the wall as well.
2: So, Absolutely. They become yeah. advocates for you, and then yeah. those are your little – non-paid soldiers out in the field going and telling the good word and looking for those opportunities. And the aha moment comes Yeah, in
1: effect, they become your sales force. Absolutely. And there's nothing
2: better than a word of mouth, trusted referral from someone else that, you know, and trust that says, Hey, these are good
1: people. It's true. It's the best form of marketing ever. And on the other side of that, I've thought about this one time you ever, are you ever been at the gas station? You're just putting gas in your truck and a guy runs up to you and he's got this cleaner it's the greatest thing you've ever seen. It always feels like such an awkward exchange with this person, okay? Because you don't know them. You're not sure you like them even. Right. And you dang sure don't trust them. The only thing you have is their word, but they want you to do business with them right away, spending no time to build a relationship with you. That's why that feels so odd.
2: Yeah. You know? It's that sleazy used car salesman. I got mm-hmm. get this pushed out real quick, and you'll never see or hear from me again. Yep. Yeah. And so that's not the way the business is done these days good business anyways. And so, um, you know, it takes time. It takes effort.
0: Yeah. I have a friend of mine who um, was working with a, a franchise selling a product and the franchise owner basically says, you have to close that deal the first meeting. And it was a challenge. It's, it's too much pressure for somebody trying to learn about the product to want to make the decision. immediately. Absolutely. I was on the phone call yesterday with a, with a sales guy. He's like, so what can I do to get you to, to you know, pull the
1: trigger? Like, you can build a relationship. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and you have to wonder, why Why do we need to make a decision right now? There yeah. may be something where it's absolutely, I need to buy this part. I need mm. to get this yeah. thing right away. Price may not be an option. Um, it, it, it's just, it is what it is. But for a lot of things, you want to have that relationship. You want to know that when you have an issue, you pick up the phone, that person's going to answer, yeah. whether it's a future servicing issue mm-hmm. or a future need. You wanna make sure that they're there for you and they're not gone in the wind.
0: Yeah. I like to buy in my time frame, not someone else's time frame. Right. They have a they have a, a
1: product to sell and they've got probably quotas and things they need to meet. Mm-hmm. And and typically when you're shopping, you're mm-hmm. just gathering information. Yeah. Is this the brand? Is this the style? Is this the size I need? Is mm-hmm. this gonna fit the bill for what I've got yeah. to do with it?
0: Want to become a business owner but not sure where to start? A hole-in-the-wall drywall repair franchise could be the opportunity you've been waiting for. As a franchisee, you'll have access to our comprehensive training program, ongoing support, and a proven business model developed to help entrepreneurs like yourself succeed. With our low overhead costs and high demand for services, you'll be able to hit the ground running and start generating income quickly. Achieve financial success while providing a valuable service to your community. Go to holeinthewallfranchising.com and take the first steps towards achieving your entrepreneurial dreams. Let's talk a second about um, SBA loans because okay. that's part of your your portfolio that you offer. Um, if you're a business, what what's walk us through that route on how to get one of those and what things we should be considering as a business owner before even applying for one.
2: Sure. So SBA is Small Business Administration. And so the way that works, just to... to so the SBA does not give you a loan. The financial institution gives you the loan, and then the SBA backs it up in some form or fashion. And the
1: SBA is a governmental agency. That's correct.
2: Yep, yep. So they have this SOP, and I call them guardrails, of, hey, these you're going to use our program. These are guardrails you have to fall between to be able to uh, provide this product to your customer base. And so... There's two main programs within the SBA. It's SBA 7A Loan and SBA 504. Mm-hmm. I'll start with the 504. The 504 is for fixed assets. Things, Big pieces of equipment, big machinery, uh, your owner-occupied, which all SBA loans has to be to business owners for their purpose. It can't be for investments. It has to be what we call owner-occupied or owner-use uh, projects. And so it's for those large assets, and it's a long-term usually fixed rate program at least a portion the SBA portion so you got long term asset you have a long term fixed rate loan on the SBA's portion and the general setup is a 50 40 10 split between the f- actual first position bank financial institution is going to do 50% of that loan so on $1 million $500,000 you're going to have the SBA that steps in for 40% that's going to be a second mortgage, similar to like a HELOC on your loan on your home kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and then you as a business owner come to the table with ten percent. Okay, so the benefits of that is usually commercial loans you need between twenty and twenty-five percent down, so it's a little bit less down. Mm-hmm. You have that long-term fixed interest rate on the SBA side. Uh, most commercial loans have reset periods and even balloons. So this is the SBA's portion. That forty percent is going to be fixed for the full term, no balloon, fixed rate, um, and then you just have a little bit more liquidity in your pocket because you're not able, you don't have to have as much down payment. The downfalls is anytime you deal with the government, you have more fees. Uncle Sam has fees; they have processing fees, application fees, things like that. Um, and there is a prepayment penalty that the SBA puts on on their portion of the loan. So that's the 504 for long-term fixed assets. Everything else to include fixed assets, can be done in the 7A. So most commonly what we see the 7A loan used for is business acquisitions, franchise startups or new business startups, or anything that has soft costs. Think of payroll, uh, overhead, you got different types of marketing expenses. If it doesn't have a hard asset to back it up, it generally goes into a 7A, although, again, the 7A can be used for large buildings, large pieces of equipment. That program is totally diverse because we have so many different uses for that particular program. It's different from a business acquisition than a building acquisition in that program. So you have these guardrails the SBA puts out there. The lenders have to go within those. Generally speaking, it's going to be 10% down of what the project cost is going to be. And then the financial institution will do 90% of the funding. And the government steps in and says, hey, Mr. Lender, if you do everything right in processing within those guardrails that we have, and this loan still goes bad, we're going to make you whole $0.75 on the dollar. Mm -hmm. So that's what's it for the financial institution. That's why they like that program. So when a financial institution is looking at a new startup, a new franchisee, a business acquisition... There's risk. There's not hard assets generally associated with it. There's not track record associated with it. And so if they believe in the owners and the guarantors, the people are taking over or starting up the business, if they have a good history and background in that industry, if they have a good business plan and projections that seem to make sense, then the financial institution may give them a SBA 7A loan because at the end of the day, they're still safe 75 cents on the dollar on their loan should it go bad.
0: So there's no 50, 40, 10 split on that? No. Is at the institution is just
2: in it? Yep. They're in it about 90%, generally speaking. But, again, there's that backstop there, and that's what gives them the peace of mind. Mm. The, the downsides of that particular loan is that because there's not hard assets, they're looking at the guarantors, which all, all SBA loans are personally guaranteed. So you as business owners are going to be on the hook regardless. Sure. But – They're looking at your assets, and if you have equity in your home, if you have a second investment home or summer home or anything like that, they're trying to protect the American taxpayer. So they want to collateralize that debt as much as possible. So you may have your personal assets pledged as collateral for your business loan. That could be heartburn for some people. Uh, Generally speaking, it's going to be adjustable rate. It's usually tied to prime. It could go as high as prime plus three right now. So, right now we're looking at 11 and a quarter percent variable rate. Mm. And so, it's not an easy way to go, but it's sometimes better than venture debt or even a seller holdback note. They may be charging something else. Or if you don't have any other options, that may be what you're able to get. And so, it's the right program for you at that time.
0: Right. If you're a business, you want to own a business and you're not passionate about it. To me, it's you got to be passionate enough to put some skin in the game. Absolutely. Right. So obviously, the bank doesn't want to lend to somebody who just wants to play with somebody else's money.
2: Right. So that makes sense to me. Yep. That's why they generally yeah. want that 10% down.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Well, Steve, you're a wealth of knowledge. You've got tons of experience. And maybe dig in your Rolodex. Is there any more advice that you have? Any, any more advice that you may have for a small business person or a business owner um, to kind of – Put in the back of our brain, um, start thinking about now for future things.
2: So, I think planning is absolutely essential and communicating that plan with the big decision makers. So, you're going to obviously talk to your spouse, you're going to talk to your business partner, you'll bring in your CPA or accountant to talk about any future acquisitions or growth plans or things like that. You need to be having those communications with your banker because, as we discussed earlier, the banker needs to be prepared. They don't know where you're trying to go and what you may need and what product services may be applicable unless you let them know. And so by letting them know, they sort of get a roadmap for you. And having that roadmap is so important because it's going to portray to the banker that you understand where you're at, and where you're trying to go. You understand your numbers and you're not just living by the seat of your pants. You're prepared for this. You have a business plan. You have projections. You know what you don't know and the things that you don't know you're willing to ask to get those questions. If you come to the banker and says, you, I need a line of credit today, you're not going to get. The best time to get a line of credit, the best time to get a loan is when you don't need it, when you're going through and everything's going well and you're able to go ahead and show that you have thought through the process. Right. So if you need to work with the Small Business Administration, if you need to work with local uh Small business development centers to develop those plans. Those are all free services offered by the SBA. They have databases with demographic and marketing materials, all free of charge to help substantiate your business model, what you're doing, and how you want to take it to the next level. And then you articulate that to the business banker that you're working with and say, I understand my business. You should feel comfortable lending to me. You should be comfortable growing with me because I I know my business better than anyone else. And I'm going to help educate you on my business and why this makes sense for my business to take it on and your bank to take on this risk.
0: Wow. That's great advice. Great advice. Steve, this is great. I'm so glad you guys, you, that you came today to, to, to visit with us. Absolutely. Um, if, if one of our listeners wants to get a hold of Commerce, wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys?
2: So you can find me on uh, social media at SBA Steve. So you find me on LinkedIn, different socials there. Uh, Commerce Bank and Trust, Google that. We're only in Winter Park. We only serve Central Florida, uh, Central Florida businesses. So been around since 1986. Uh, We are an S-Corp. We're owned by a close family. So we are not trying to be everything to everyone, but the people that we are, we try to take good care of them. Excellent, excellent. Wonderful.
0: Well, thank you for showing up today. And everybody, thanks for listening. And that's been another great show. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. We'd like to thank you for listening to the Hole in the Wall business podcast with Bill and James. We'd love for you to join our Facebook group and keep the conversation going. If you'd like to learn more about us and our business, check us out at holeinthewall.com. If you'd like to learn more about how to start a Hole in the Wall franchise, go to holeinthewallfranchising.com.